Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today, we are still in a series on healing, and we have at least today and next week um, to wrap this up. I'm not limiting myself to that, but I do know we've got, uh, I've got a message today and one, at least one more for next week. And uh, we started with a message called Christ, Our Healer, focusing on the truth that God has identified himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And uh, then we did a message called The Children's Bread, about how healing is absolutely part of the atoning work of Christ, and therefore it's a component of our salvation package, something that we are qualified for, indeed entitled to, not because of us, but because of him. Two weeks ago, the title, even though I don't think I announced it, I usually, I often don't announce the title, it was Oil, Spit, Hands, and Words, talking about how Jesus used different methods when he ministered healing, and how we shouldn't get hung up on any kind of formula. There was more to it, of course. Last week, it was sin, forgiveness, and healing, which addressed the obstacle that many of us encounter when we need healing uh, and have difficulty receiving it because we feel that our sin is preventing us from receiving it. That'll come into play a little bit today as well. Uh, today is a pretty straightforward message on faith for healing. And uh, because it is, you're going to hear some things today that you have almost certainly heard before if you've been paying attention and you've been here more than a few months. And this is something that I'm determined to return to again and again because it is so central to the gospel. Healing was a huge part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he taught, he preached, and he healed. And it was a, it, it was a part of the Great Commission. It's one of the things that we were commanded to do when we preached the gospel. So we need to be encouraged and reminded often of just how important it is. And also, don't tune it out just because you think you've heard it all before. You will likely hear some things today that you haven't heard, even if I've said them before. You know, how many of you have read the entire Bible uh, more than once, uh, and maybe you've read it 20 times, and on the 21st time through or the 50th time through, you see a verse that you know you've read, but you never saw it before? And yeah, yeah, I knew I'd get some hands on that one, and the only hands that didn't go up are probably those of you who've never read your Bible before. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> let's look here. Let's start in Ma I'm going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight, so let's dive into it. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9, there is a series of miraculous healings. Uh, the paralyzed man uh, that we looked at uh, being lowered through the roof by his friends. So we looked at that last week. We looked at that, that same account in a different passage. Uh, then there's the woman with the issue of blood uh, and Jairus' daughter. We'll look at both of those later. And then there's this in Matthew 9, beginning in verse 27. Matthew 9, 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. 
Jesus warned them sternly, sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Now we are going to come back to that last bit a little bit later in this message, if we move fast enough, where he tells them, don't let anybody know about that. What I want to look at is that phrase, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And let me get this out of the way, because it can be a little unpleasant, uh, but also because it's so important. When we pray for the sick, and when we defend, as we should, when we're challenged on it, when we defend the doctrine of healing, and when I talk about the doctrine of healing, I'm not talking about can God or does God. I'm talking about the idea that we have any right to expect healing when it's not just a matter of, God, I'd love for you to heal me if you want to, if you will it. Uh, I just, but you know, whatever. I'm begging you, but I don't know if you'll do it. I'm talking about the doctrine that healing is something God has promised. It's heal healing is something that is always God's will, and therefore we have a right to expect it when we pray, okay? And when we defend it, uh, the most obvious question is, if it's God's will to heal, why doesn't it always work? If healing is part of the atonement, if it is always God's will to heal, then why doesn't healing always work? And there are a few answers to that. One of them I think we've talked about, I know we've talked about before, but I think we've talked about it in this series. Look, if it's always God's will to save, why doesn't everybody get saved? If God so loved the world, then why won't all be saved? Well, there's somebody else's will involved here, isn't there? I mean, unless you believe in double predestination or double predestinarianism, the idea that God has simply predestined some for hell. I don't believe that. I don't think most of you do either. God has provided, said the salvation that was purchased at the cross of Christ is enough to save the world, but not all the world will be saved. And yet the word tells us explicitly that God's not willing that any should perish, but some will perish. Doesn't change God's will on the matter. For, for the believer, we could ask, if sin is never God's will, why do believers still sin? Well, once again, there's our will involved too, isn't there? Doesn't mean there's not forgiveness. But we know when we sin, we know when we sin, the world might not know, but we know when we sin, we are, we are violating the will of God. The broader answer, the blanket response, and this is favored by great ministers, great ministers like Keith Moore, and Scott Millis embraced this answer, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. And this is, as you know, sandwiched between 12 and 14, and all part of the same passage. I, I, I can't stress that enough. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the gifts just as much as 12 and 14, but it is known as the great love chapter. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Let me ask you this. Will there be healings in heaven? We'll be healed once and for all when we're in heaven. No healings in heaven because no sickness in heaven. Will there be repentance in heaven? Be no sin in heaven. Will we be casting out demons in heaven? Now, there are no demons in heaven. I heard a guy. I know I just said we got to move through this stuff because I got so much scripture, but I, I love telling this story. There was a guy, uh, again, I won't name him, but he was coming on big on the scene when I was a Rhema student, and he was holding meetings, and uh, he had a big, quote-unquote, deliverance ministry where, I'm not saying he never prayed for the sick, but he would talk, he would kind of really stoke this idea that, man, if there's something wrong with you, you need, you need spiritual deliverance, and he would have a del- deliverance line and, and get pretty animated and call things out, and there were a couple stories that I won't share with you because they're just they're a little bit depressing. But he, did, he said during one of these meetings, man, there's nothing I enjoy more than jumping into a crowd of demon-possessed people and just fighting demons. He says, and we gotta, if, we, if you like it as much as I do, we got to be doing it now because there ain't going to be no demons to fight in heaven. Almost like this is the one thing that's going to be wrong with heaven is there'll be no demons to cast out because this is what I enjoy the most. Anyway. That's just, that was a silly take on it. No, listen, God gave us gifts and authority over unclean spirits, and he gave us promises to claim so that we could put those things to use here and now when we need them in these mortal bodies, in this fallen world. The gifts will not be needed in heaven. Authority over unclean spirits will not be needed in heaven. And we should be moving toward that ideal, uh, you know, that, that sin should be decreasing in our lives. Holiness should be increasing in our lives as we grow in grace. But it's going to be a battle as long as we are in these bodies. Until we are there face to face with him in glorified bodies in the presence of, with, and away from the presence of sin. Okay? So more to the point, we simply don't know and understand everything right here and now. We know in part. We see as through a glass darkly. What we are commanded to do is to believe and speak and pray and act in accordance with the commands of Jesus. When we don't see the results that we expect, it's okay to say, I don't know why. I don't know why that person didn't respond to my preaching of the gospel when Peter got 3,000 people saved on his first try. But I'm still going to preach the gospel. I don't understand why that person didn't get healed when I laid my hands on them. But I'm still going to lay hands on the sick. That's my job is to do what Jesus told me to do. Okay? But here's the part that some critics claim is harsh or even abusive. At least some of the time. It's because no faith is involved. I'll say no faith for healing is present. It really couldn't be much clearer in the scripture. If Jesus' healing ministry 
was solely or even mainly to validate his claims of messiahship, then why involve people's faith at all? Just do the works and let them marvel. Let these people be dragged before Jesus and let him heal them without saying anything about their faith. When he healed these blind men, this first scripture we just read, why didn't he just heal them? While they hollered at him, why didn't he just say, be healed, receive your sight? He went indoors, he followed him in, he said, do you believe I'm able to do this? Be it unto you according to your faith. Not according to my power, but according to your faith. Okay? You know, there's an account in in, uh, Matthew of Jesus healing an epileptic boy who had a demon. We're going to look at Mark's account of this same uh, episode in a little bit. But in in, in, uh, Matthew's account, the disciples had already tried to cast it out and failed. And they said, why couldn't we? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Dang. Uh, The reason this sounds cruel to us is because people have been cruel. There have been certainly uh, moments and uh, certain individuals where where when they apply this truth, and it is truth, well, why didn't you get healed? Because you didn't have faith. Uh, They they just aren't very uh, kind about it, I guess. I'll, I'll say this, some ministers... Uh, in defense of their healing ministry, in defense of their giftedness, have simply deflected what has been perceived as their failure to heal somebody by chalking it up to lack of faith or unbelief on the part of the person seeking healing. Now, it might very well be the case, but we don't know. Nobody knows everything. We are all still knowing in part. We're all still seeing in a mirror dimly. And it's much kinder to say, look, I prayed for you. I'm still believing for your healing. The, this story, your story's not over yet. And you might remember uh, Neil, Neil's sermon, Neil and Danette's sermon from uh, what year was that? That's right, 2017. And uh, <laughs> um, story's not over yet. I'm still believing with you, brother. Still believing with you, sister. Well, why didn't I get it? Brother, sister, I don't know. But... Too many people have said, well, if you had faith, I had faith. I know what the word of God is. I know the power is present. You didn't receive because you don't have faith. That's not always that cut and dried, and it's not always the wisest or kindest thing to say, not the most loving thing to say. But let's remember two main things. Uh, Let's just remember this for now. I've already stressed one, and we see now it's through a glass darkly. Number two, we have to acknowledge, we have to accept that sometimes there is a lack of faith. This is categorically true. Many people will allow you to pray for them, but have zero expectation for healing. And I'm talking about believers and unbelievers, right? I mean, you know people. You go visit somebody in a hospital, and they've got no, uh, maybe they're not even saved. Most people, when you say, can I pray for you, are going to say, sure, whatever. But even Christians they might have a sincere belief in God. They might, be, they might have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, but they have no, no idea. They've had no teaching and no conviction that God still heals on the regular, that they have a right to expect it. But they're still going to let you pray for them. Is that what we call faith? Is that what Jesus called faith? It's not. 
Might there still be a miracle because you responded in obedience and laid hands on them? Yeah, there sure might be. Okay, so let's move on. Look at Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Mark 5.25. Now, a certain woman, let's make sure I'm in the right spot. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Again, daughter, my power has made you well. It's not what he said. She didn't cry out for Jesus to stop and lay hands on her. She didn't seek his will on the matter. You notice that? She just said, she determined something on her own. She believed it. And she received it. Now, she was still drawing on the power of God. Okay, but it was her faith that activated it in her life. And that's what Jesus himself said. Now, this healing happened on the way, well, Jesus was on the way to heal someone else. So let's stay in Mark chapter 5, but go back up to verse 21. Mark 5, 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Then this is where the woman with the issue of blood comes up. So let's skip down to verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took, her, took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. And we see here, for the second time, Jesus telling someone that he had just done a miraculous healing for not 
to tell anyone about it. But I'll point out a couple things, because we got a few more things to tie all this stuff together I want to get to. But one is uh, Jesus immediately agreeing to go with Jairus to heal his daughter. Stopping, even though this girl was at the point of death. Now this woman, the woman with the issue of blood, as he's walking through there, she pressed in. She's having to, I don't know, bulldoze her way or shoulder her way, elbow her way through the crowd because she made up her mind, I'm going to touch his clothes and be healed. And she had to get to him to do that. She didn't throw herself in front of him. She didn't hold him up. She just reached out and touched, received her healing, and then Jesus stopped. Not because she stopped him, but because he sensed the power. He said, hey, wait, 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 who touched me? He knew somebody had touched him in faith. Now, he's on his way to heal a little girl at the point of death, but he decides to stop and address this woman, basically commend her for her faith. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. You've been healed. Receive your healing. Then he turns to go and they stop and say, too late. This little girl's dead. Don't make him come all the way to your house. And when Jesus heard that, what's he do? He turns to Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. You've heard this. I say you've heard this. A lot of times I say you've heard this a thousand times because I've heard it a thousand times. Fear is the enemy of faith. I don't believe fear is the opposite of faith, as has been taught. Doubt is the opposite of faith. But you see, fear feeds your doubt like the word feeds your faith. We focus on a bad report. We focus on anything that causes fear to build up. We will begin to doubt. Okay? Jesus didn't want any doubt entering in that room with him. You had enough faith to come get me. You came to the right place. You know I can heal. I'm on my way to do it. You witnessed the healing on the way. Don't let this report rob you of that faith. Now let's go. And he takes the little girl by the hand. Gets all the doubt and unbelief out of the room, you notice, first. And then goes in, takes this girl by the hand, says, child, arise. But then he tells him not to say anything about it. There have been a couple of suggestions about why. And you know what my answer is. This is one of my favorite stories, so I preach it often. And here I go again. But one of the answers is, uh, and I think this is the weakest answer, is, well, it's reverse psychology. The more he tells them not to tell, the more they're going to want to tell. You know, just like those blind guys did. He tells them, don't let anybody know about it, but they told it everywhere. I don't think that's how Jesus operated. Uh, a more faith-based reason is you go blabbing it to everybody, you're going to encounter some people who are going to try to talk you out of it. You need to treasure those things in your heart and you need to share them with people who are in your company, who share your belief, who are going to encourage you in your faith. Something we haven't talked about in this series yet, but we will get into it a little more de in a little more detail next week, is once you have been prayed for, once you have even received the manifestation of your healing, it is important to continue to confess it and thank him for it. I, I, I want to be careful about this story because I'm not giving you a, a, a specific recommendation on this. It's just it's something that I know happened. And mom probably remembers this in better detail because she's the one who told me. Uh, uh, this will ring a bell. You might even remember the person's name. But there was a, a woman who had a terrible cancer diagnosis. I mean, it was 
It wasn't one of these, oh, we've just detected cancer in your body, uh, but we've caught it early and we can fix it. It's, this is bad. It's a matter of keeping you alive as long as we can at this point. And her friends got a hold of the healing message, and they saw uh, let's, let's, uh, they needed to anoint her with oil and pray, and they actually took a can of oil. I think it was like motor oil or something. <laughs> Whatever they could get their hands on. Went in and just dumped it on her in the bed and spoke the word over her, and they did a test, and all the cancer was gone. Not a trace of it. This is 30 years ago. Okay? And so praise God, great healing story. And the doctors were amazed, but they said, look, we're, we, don't, we can't explain it. There's no cancer in your body, but there was. And so you need to go ahead and go through the treatments. So she did, and she died. Now, I'm not saying never go to the doctor, don't trust the doctor. I'm saying you got, you've got to hear from the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, I'm not going to... Do you remember when Armin Morales was here? Uh, and he shared the story of, about, I want you to do one more scan before you operate. And they did the scan and there was nothing there. Uh, these, these are things we need to give, especially once we, it has been confirmed. Man, you've been healed. Okay, if we've just experienced a miraculous healing, are we going to let a doctor speak doubt into our lives? Are we going to let anybody speak doubt into our lives? Hear from the Holy Spirit. Use wisdom. I know God uses doctors. But, man, when you experience a miraculous healing, how about just thank God for that? Okay? Anyway, I don't want to go too far down that. I just want to say that, um, yeah, where was I? Talking about why, why would Jesus don't make it known? Well, if you make it known to the wrong people, you, you very likely might be, you're going to have your testimony, you, you might be a little shyer about it. Well, every time I say this to people, they, they shout me down, and maybe I didn't, maybe, maybe I didn't see what I thought I saw. Uh, so yeah, you kind of do have to be careful. And yet, I'm a big fan of, of testifying. You know, maybe uh, look, when people, I remember when the first time I went back into Sam's after I experienced that miraculous healing from my second episode of Sciatica. A guy asked me, hey man, where you been? Haven't seen you in a while. I was out my back. I could hardly walk because my back was so bad. And the next question out of his mouth was, well, how'd you get better? And barely knew this guy, but he's kind of rough around the edges. And I said, and I just put it this way. I said, look, I don't know how you're going to take this, but since you asked, God healed me. He stops right where he was. He says, I do believe you. I do. Hey, have you ever seen a minister named John Hagee? Have you ever watched this guy? All of a sudden he starts talking about all this, these religious programs he watched, and, and we kind of got into a, a great, uh, but what if he'd said, nah, I don't believe that junk. It's not going to shake my faith. I'm not going to let him speak doubt and unbelief into my life. Okay, I'm not going to get into a big discussion. You ask a question, I told you, I told you what happened to me. I know what happened to me. Okay, anyway, here's what I think, though. I think here's the more likely reason that Jesus said that. Let's look at another healing, and then I'll explain. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying, home, lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. 
For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. This was a Gentile. That's why he started talking about you know, coming from the east and the west, meanwhile the sons of Jacob. This is the faith that caused Jesus to marvel. Faith that didn't need Jesus to lay hands on them, did not even need Jesus to be physically present. Faith that simply takes Jesus at his word. This, I believe, is the gold standard when it comes to receiving healing. Know the word, believe the word, speak the word, and receive the promise that's in the word. But listen, there is no condemnation at all, not by Jesus, not by anyone else, if you receive your healing through the laying on of hands, by the anointing with oil, or any other scriptural method. But this was such a demonstration of faith that Jesus was not only pleased, he took a moment to express his pleasure to the crowd. But notice, every other one we read, let's look at the two cases where he specifically said, don't say anything. The blind men. Son of David, have mercy on us. He keeps walking, he goes inside, they follow him in. He says, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yes. He says, be done according to your faith. And then says, don't tell anybody this. Don't let it be known this happened. Jairus asked him to come. There was no argument, nothing. Jesus just followed him. I'll come with you. We're going to go heal this girl. He goes in, he takes her by the hand raises her from the dead, and then says, don't tell anybody about this. I think he's saying that because this is not the model that I want people to follow. I want people to be like the centurion and just take me at my word. Jesus, would you just speak a word of healing over my daughter? You don't need to, you don't need to be there to do it. Ah, that's what I'm talking about, the authority and the power of the word. This is the part. Everybody said, don't say anything about this. In this case, Jesus himself says, hey, there are people walking with him. Hey, see this? This is the kind of faith I'm talking about. This is the kind of stuff I want you to notice. I want you to talk about this kind of faith, not the kind of faith that needs me to appear physically and touch, not, but not that he's not willing to do those things and not that we shouldn't be willing to do those things. There's nothing wrong with standing in a healing line or calling for the anointing oil or the prayers of the church. But you can be healed simply by believing and speaking the word of God over your body or for any, any other uh, faith-based need.
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the centurion, who expressed a greater degree of faith, got not only the healing he requested for his servant, but he got a response from Jesus which publicly indicated his pleasure. But even the ones who did not display that level of faith still got healed. Look at this in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, verse 14. This is right after the transfiguration. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he said to the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, that's terrible punctuation. It doesn't make any sense, really. We would never say it like that. What he's really saying is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. He's not saying if you can believe. He's sort of repeating the man's word. If you can do anything, if you can, who are you talking to? course I can. Don't start it like that. It's kind of the Yoda thing. You know, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. No ifs. That's not, uh, heal me if you can. If you can, you believe because all things are possible to him who believes. You start by believing I can and you're going to see this happen. So then he says this and he means it. Immediately the father of child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What's he saying? I believe. I just don't know if I believe enough. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many people said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Two more passages, and I move to a close. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. One verse, you can turn there if you want. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We looked at that several weeks ago in a different context, but remember what he's saying there. By grace you have been saved. What is the power that saves you? What is it that saves you? It's grace. Is it your faith that saves you? No, it's grace. How do we access that grace? By faith. Where did the faith come from? It is a gift of God. So you can't take credit for your salvation because you were saved by grace. How'd you get the grace? By faith. And you can't take credit for the faith either because the faith is a gift from God. That, not of yourselves. That faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Okay? 
James, I'll tie it in with this next verse. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Listen, a couple things out of that. This is so huge. He's not saying this man will never receive anything from the Lord. He's saying don't let this man expect to receive anything from the Lord. And if, you, if we go to God and we're wavering, if we're not praying in faith, if we're just throwing up a Hail Mary prayer, whatever, I think James is acknowledging he might answer it, but you have no right to expect it. But if you go to him in faith, in this case, the example is wisdom, What's God's nature? What's his promise? He gives wisdom. He gives it liberally, and he gives it without reproach. He gives you what you ask for when you ask in faith. But when you go to him asking for something and you're doubting, you don't have a right to expect that you're going to get it. But is it interesting that James doesn't say, let not that man expect to receive wisdom from the Lord. He says that man won't, can't expect to receive anything. In other words, this principle applies to more than just wisdom. What's, what do we have to know? All we have to know is what are we asking for? And is that thing we're asking for something that God has said we can have and that he wants for us? It all boils down to is healing God's will for us. If we believe that it is, and if we are right, then we ask in faith expecting the answer. And if we lack faith, can we ask for more? This guy did. Jesus said, you're almost there. You asked me to heal this boy, to deliver this boy, if I can do anything. Let's eliminate that first part. And let me just ask you, you do you believe? Because if you believe, all things are possible. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I believe Jesus did. Let's be as faith-filled as we can, and let's be honest with God. Lord, you know, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. The disciples said that to Jesus. Will God answer that prayer? I absolutely believe he will. How will he do it? Has God ever just dropped more faith in somebody? Probably has. He's probably just dropped patience in somebody. But what does James tell us about that? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, tribulations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. One of the very first things I ever remember learning, I learned it in a youth group, probably it was either Willie George or Sandy Brown taught us this, don't ever pray for patience because the standard way God produces patience is bringing you through trials and tribulations. So if you're praying for patience, you're praying for trials and tribulations. Now, how does God bring faith? Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. He'll answer the prayer, but what he's going to do is bring his word alive to you in a way that's going to produce faith. Where does your will get involved? How about reading the word of God? How about listening to the word of God? How about immersing yourself in those things? And you find out, lo and behold, if I spend two hours a day two fewer hours a day playing games or watching TV, and I dedicate those hours or those minutes 
to listening to something that's going to feed my faith, I find out that I do believe. I believe more than I believed yesterday or last week or last year. Growing in grace. And we're able to pray more confidently and expect more fully when we are seeking healing or any other thing that God has promised. Uh, tell you what, praise and worship team, you come on up here. We are going to look next week. Going to wrap. Uh, I don't not can't say with one hundred percent certainty that we'll wrap the series up, but I do need to say a few more things about faith and healing, and I want to talk about something I just barely cracked. Uh, open in this, which was this idea of Jesus, uh, of us pleasing God with our faith, and Jesus expressing his pleasure at the centurion's faith, uh, how we can be pleasing to God with our faith, because I think that's one more component when we are standing before God, and it's very closely related to the sin issue that we talked about last week. Um, if I please God with my faith, uh, Am I having trouble receiving healing because I don't, I'm not convinced God is pleased with me? Okay? Again, there's, forgiveness is part of that. It's a big part of it. But it's not everything. And we're going to talk about that. The other thing we're going to talk about is reiterating this truth that it is indeed God's will to heal. And it's how our faith, faith-filled prayers are only possible if they are attached to the known will of God. You can stand with me. Uh, encourage you to stand with me if you can. Uh, and we're going to do something different. I, I, we are going to have a healing moment, but I'm not going to invite you up here. Uh, we're just going to do it a little bit differently today based on what we just heard from the Word of God. But first, I have heard testimonies of people who came to Christ because of a healing miracle that they witnessed or experienced. And therefore, I know that God has healed people who had no faith. That wasn't the message. The message today was not you'll never get healed if you don't believe. He's saying there's a healing promise and you can expect to be healed if you are a believer in Christ and you know the promise. But it starts with being a believer in Christ. I agree 100% with the idea that if God had promised us nothing but salvation from hell, salvation from our sin, and if he had said, you can believe the promise, and he caused me to believe it, that when this life is over, I will spend eternity in his presence and his glory, but nothing between now and then, I would still be on board with this thing. But that's not what he said. All of these promises and giftings and everything are for the here and now. It's not heaven on earth, but it is walking still in his provision, his protection, his healing, his love. We can get a taste of it now and then. And we've got a job to do, and we need to be walking in that power and authority to do that job. That's for today. But healing is for today because he loves us. Healing is for today because he wants us to be ministers of healing. He wants us to testify to that. But it would all be, you flip it around, what if he said, I'm going to bless you because you believe in me and your life is going to be 100% wonderful, but it's 50-50 when you die. Or when you're dead, you're dead. No, I'd still take eternity with him over everything else. 
because that's what really matters. I just don't like this idea that, well, the only thing that matters is heaven. Let's just don't argue about sickness and everything, sickness and disease and, and provision and protection and all that stuff. No, let's find out what the Bible says and believe that. But I'm speaking now to the person who maybe has not yet made that decision for Christ. You are missing out on some important things. And the most important thing you're missing out on today is the assurance that no matter what happens, your eternal destiny is secure. You can know today what's going to happen to you when you die. And that is life-changing. But once you have made that confession of faith, once you have become born again, once you become a believer, a Christian, guess what? That is a package deal. And part of that salvation package is physical healing. So I want to pray for you to be saved before I pray for us to be healed. Is there anybody who would just by the showing of your hand say, I desire today to become a Christian. I have never confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. But I need to and I want to do it now. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room, anybody in the sound of my voice who needs to make that decision to follow Jesus, that you would give them the courage, the wisdom, and the humility to make that decision now. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody, before we pray for the sick, before we confess our healing together, rather, is there anybody who wants to come up and be saved? Okay. I don't see any hands. So if you raise your hand and I didn't see you, maybe... Holler real loud, real quick. Loud, quick noise. Ah! No, it's an inside joke. Uh, for the rest, and so I'm, I'm assuming, since I didn't see anybody, I'd like to assume that everybody in here is a believer. If you're not and you have questions about that, please don't hesitate to ask me right after service. Don't waste another week. You never know what's going to happen. For the rest of us, there's this. And you don't, I, don't want, I don't need anybody to come up front. And I would like everybody... I'd like this to be everybody's confession. I'm simply going to lead a prayer of confession. And I mean not confessing sin. I mean our faith's confession for healing. You don't need to repeat it back. You know, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, when he was talking about the importance of interpretation accompanying tongues, he says, you know, if you, if you get up and you, you give a... a, a you speak in tongues before the congregation. You're giving thanks well enough, but how will he who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks? Well, what he's saying there is if, if I can't understand what you're saying, I can't vocally agree with you. So there needs to be an interpreta uh, interpretation. What we sometimes skip over is it's important that vocal agreement is important. You don't need to repeat after me. There's nothing wrong with that. What you do need to say is amen. Yes, Lord, that's for me, me too. Feel free to mutter in the midst of this. Just pay attention to what I'm saying, but you are confessing it with your amen. Does that make sense? So I'm going to say this, and you amen right along, and you amen loud if this is something you need for today. But I would like all of you to be with us in this moment, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that qualifies us for every good promise you've made for the righteous. Thank you that we are counted righteous in your presence because we are in Christ and he is perfectly righteous. Thank you for that. Thank you that everything Jesus accomplished at the cross, he accomplished for me. The blood he shed was more than sufficient for the remission of my sins, for the cleansing of my sins, and I stand clean before you. And the stripes he took on his back were for my healing. 
he was wounded. He, took, he was beaten. He took those stripes to heal me. Father, I receive that healing by faith, and I thank you for it. I believe that you have healed me. I believe healing is for me. Father, if my faith isn't where, I sh where it should be, help my unbelief. Help me to believe better. Increase my faith so that I can be healed and so that I can testify to your healing power to a world that needs to know that you're not a distant God, but that you are concerned with what happens in our physical bodies in the here and now. I thank you for that healing. I receive it by faith. All you need to do is speak a word and you have spoken it. You have sent your word and healed us. We receive that healing. I receive that healing in my body. I receive your healing and speak to my body, standing in the authority that you have given me over sickness and disease, and say that I am healed, cured, manifestly delivered, made well from every sickness, every disease, every malfunction, and every disorder, and everything that rises up against good health in every one of my bones and muscles, my glands and organs, my blood vessels, my joint, ligament, tendon, nerve, cell, and tissues in my body and all the spaces in between. Thank you, God, for healing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.